0: to have you today welcome bill michaels show boy we got a a lot to get to today holy moly the uh explosive if you will lawsuit that has been filed by brian uh the former coach of the miami dolphins brian flores suing the nfl and three teams alleging racism and hiring practices Uh, The discrimination regarding his interview process with the Broncos and the Giants fired by the Dolphins. Um, That is the dominating headline today. And when you talk about timing, oh my goodness, the NFL is getting ready for the grandest stage. Their Super Bowl. And... They're getting ready to put on this spectacular, at least the best they can, this spectacular display out in L.A., uh, even though it's going to be completely diminished by the circumstances in which we live. It, uh, for the two teams that are participating, it's not. I mean, they're all in it. They're in it to win it. I mean, it, you know, regardless of what's going on around the actual event, one of them are going to hoist a Lombardi trophy, and <laughs> that is your ultimate goal. So, uh, you know, to them, the game is the game. But uh, for those of us around it, it is what it is. It's the pageantry that is the Super Bowl. And you have got Brian Flores coming out with some strong evidence and strong allegations that the hiring practices in the NFL are merely a facade when it comes to minority coaches. And some of the things that he is alleging that he was actually asked he he's saying that, first of all, he went to an interview with John Elway and other executives with the Broncos. They showed up late. They were hungover. It was he he looked he, he was like, This is a joke interview. They're interviewing me because I'm black. They have no intention of hiring me. They interviewed him just to comply with the Rooney rule. They're also, he's also saying that he was interviewing with the Giants. After they had already decided who they were going to hire again, just because he's black. And this is backed up by the text messages that were mistakenly sent to him by Bill Belichick. Now, Belichick is not involved in any of this, other than the fact that he thought he was talking to his coach, Brian Dable, and instead he was texting Brian Flores. He was texting the wrong Brian, basically saying to Dable, hey, congratulations, I heard you got the job. That's awesome. And Flores is like, I interviewed this Thursday, coach. You know, thanks. I hope to get it. And he's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I F this up. Uh, Wrong guy. And that's when Flores is like, I'm going to interview for a job that's already been decided. And it's merely because of the color of my skin. Then he goes to Miami, and he's claiming that their owner, the Miami Dolphins owner, not only then hired him, but also told him, that They wanted Joe Burrow to go. He would pay him $100,000 per loss to lose games so they could get the number one overall pick and get Joe Burrow. I mean, it's, it's astounding to listen to. Take a listen to Brian Flores. He was on Get Up this morning. Uh, on ESPN. He was on CBS uh, uh, television as well, CBS morning show, um, making the news rounds. But this is him on the four-letter network this morning talking about this whole situation.
1: Tanking games to get a better draft choice and said he would give you $100,000 for every game you lost. As you can imagine, that obviously has enormous repercussions. What can you tell me about the specifics of that offer? How specifically did he state that to you? You know, that was... uh a conversation about not doing as much as we needed to do to win football games. Um, take a flight, go on vacation. I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars per loss. Those are just the, you know, exact words. Um, and it's not something Look, I deal in truth. Um, and I I say that to the players as well. I'm going to give you, you know, good news, bad news, but it's going to be the truth. It's going to be honest. Um, and in that instance, you know, look, I, I, I came from but well, this game has done a lot for me, mm-hmm. uh, a lot for me personally and my family. Um, and I've said this, you know, on other you know, shows, but my parents are immigrants. I'm first generation. I grew up with, you know, you know, in a tough neighborhood here in, in, in Brooklyn, Brownsville, where there's crime and poverty and, you know, violence. Um, and it was hard to to make it out of there. And the game of football there's a reason why, or a big reason why, along with a lot of the great people that mentors I've had in my life, um, why I was able to have the success that I've had. So, to disrespect the game that way um, was 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 something that you know trust was lost, and there were certainly some some strained relationships. And ultimately, I think that was you know, to my demise in, in Miami.
0: So, when he got fired in Miami, which everybody was surprised at. Because he actually started to win. Everybody was surprised that he got fired. And when the immediately we found out after the fact that suddenly he was hard to work with. And you can understand that you can kind of say, okay, look, if you want to bring in certain coaches and. The organization doesn't, and and you stay steadfast, then yeah, you can be hard to work with, and maybe you're not the guy to lead our team. Okay, um, but what's what he's alleging is that if Stephen Ross was indeed trying to tank games, I mean, here's a couple of things. First of all, the NFL is in bed now, full in with betting, DraftKings, all the different uh, you know betting sites. They're in. Okay, they have now. They not only Dip their toe in that pond because of the sponsorship deals that they have. They have dove headfirst into that pond. They're deep, deep in with it now. So in other words, you've got an owner. Now, it's not unheard of to have owners and ownership mired in losing, Say, man, we could really use this. This might turn our franchise around. Okay? I understand that mentality. But I have never heard of a, an owner going to a coach saying, I'll pay you hundred grand a loss. I mean, lose the game. You can't do that. That's first and foremost. And if that's true, then Stephen Ross should be forced to sell the team. He should be forced to get out of football. Secondly, we don't know what the evidence is, if there is any, uh, other than Brian Flores uh, showing Bill Belichick's texts. Those are legit. That's legit because the Giants have to answer for that. The NFL was very quick to say that uh, there's nothing to see here after only about 20 minutes being slapped with a lawsuit. I mean, they right away, they were like, no, no, we've talked to all these parties. It's funny because they are still investigating, apparently, the Washington now commanders, football team's owner, Daniel Snyder, and the only thing that came out of that was John Gruden's racist messages which I still find fan The NFL is so corrupt, it isn't funny. It is such a good old boy network. And on, on one hand, look, it's worked. It's, it's a very powerful entity. But on the other hand, man, I've always said, I've always said, you never want to look behind the curtain because it is a really dirty, dirty, ugly business. It is. I have known former players that had their records lost when they're trying to get paid for injuries on the field. And you got to start the process over again and over and over and over again because the NFL doesn't want to pay out $200,000 or $300,000. I mean, it's ridiculous. Greed runs so deep. You follow the money. So what do you do? You protect your ass. So I'm not saying Flores is right. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying this is something that is on its face incredibly explosive because of the insinuation. First of all, you have got a league that is mandating to teams for racial slogans to be painted in end zone lines and racial things to be put on helmets and offering that up for player individuality. And yet their own Rooney rule behind the scenes is looked upon by ownership as a group it's it's looked upon by ownership as a group as a joke it's 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 the epitome of patting you on the head saying okay go away it it's it's just amazing um and, and there's a lot of people saying that you don't know what flores did if you don't have proof um Okay, that that's fine. I agree. But I'm not going to dismiss it because we haven't seen it all. You know what I mean? Um, we haven't seen all the proof. We haven't seen what uh, what is going to come of this. But Brian Flores, one of two things, is either one, completely cutting his own throat and he will never have a job again in the NFL. Or... There is going to be an ownership group that is going to look at him and go, that guy's got integrity. He He's he's straight up. He was a good coach. He started a Turner program around that was with Tua. That was crap. He knows what he's doing. He's been a successful guy throughout his career, and therefore we're going to give him a chance to guide our franchise. One of the two. But... Um, but the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Giants are all named in the lawsuit because of the hiring practices. And then in that lawsuit regarding the NFL, uh, not only with the hiring practices of the Rooney Rule, but also then Stephen Ross offering the coach hundred grand for every loss is amazing. So very, very explosive accusations coming out of Brian Flores' camp. And that at this point in time is the NFL right now, they are they are polishing all the helmets out in front of the convention center. They are closing down SoFi Stadium. They're painting the field. They're getting it ready. They're polishing it up. They're cleaning all the seats, cleaning all the floors, cleaning every they're ready to have this thing shine, right? This is their biggest stage. And then this hits. At the exact opposite end of the country, a lawsuit filed in New York basically says, you're racist, you're fixing games, you don't give a damn, you're a good old white boy network, here it is. One thing, I mean, you never want that to begin with, but right now, uh, of all times, you talk about a giant turd in the punch bowl. Holy mackerel. Holy mackerel. Uh, Robin says, anybody in Green Bay think that having an owner is a great idea? The Packers model may be flawed, but I'll take it any day of the week. Robin, I will too. I, we, we get upset when we don't have an owner that has the ability to come down with money and throw money at a situation. We, we don't like it. You know, we don't, we, we don't, we don't like when the figurehead isn't the owner, but for the most part, and I say this for the most part now, I've, I've been here since 1999 So I've been dealing with this 22, 23 years. Okay, 23, this will be my 23rd season, I can't believe it, 23rd season of Packers football. 23 years in this market. Since I was a kid, I've been following Packers football. Since I could remember going back to the early 70s following Packers football. My father, my mother, both huge Bart Starr fans. My dad loved Lombardi, got hooked on it as a kid, and it was always a part of whatever our household was, whether it was getting something eventually that had Green Bay Packers on it because we had some friends and family that actually lived in Green Bay. So we would get Packers gear all the time as a kid. I followed the Packers and the Bengals. That That was the two teams that I followed. So we were Bart Starr fans, and we were we went through the Bay of Pigs and Tampa Bay and Green Bay and all that you know, all that kind of stuff. The domination of the Chicago Bears for so many years, and I understand all of that, but I didn't get immersed in it until I got here. But when you look at ownership throughout the rest of the league and some of the things that have gone on, you look at Mark Davis, you look at Daniel Snyder. Jerry Jones at least has a – he wants to win. He doesn't go about it in the right way sometimes, but he really, really wants to win. I mean, that's his thing. He's he's a football guy. He wants to win. But he's a nutbag sometimes. But you start to look around Stephen Ross, some of these other owners, what's going on down in Jacksonville. Some of these other owners, man, it's like, you know, do you really want that in your backyard? So it's an interesting proposition, and I agree with you very much that – while it may drive us nuts at times, because we want guys fired, thrown out on their ass, or we want somebody to spend the money. That, that's usually when we get mad. We, we, want, we, want a, we got it pretty lucky, put it that way. We got it pretty lucky. 877-867-1670, if you want to hit us up and chime in on any of this, what does this do for the NFL, in your opinion, if anything? If anything, you can hit us up there. we got a lot to get to today. Uh, now the comparisons begin of quarterbacks in the NFL. And I'm listening to this today about who you would want. Would you want this guy? Would you want that guy? Is this guy better than that guy? And, and here we go. Here we go. It And now, right, inevitably, Roger's name gets thrown into all of these mixes. All of these mixes. So I figured, what the hell? We'll we'll jump into that pool a little bit as well. Hang in there. We got a lot going on today. Stay tuned more of the Bill Michael show next. This is the Bill Michael show on the Wisconsin Sports
2: Zone Radio Network.
0: Welcome one, welcome all. Glad you're with us. Hour number two of the Bill Michaels Show. And welcome to those of you on the network all throughout the great state of Wisconsin and well beyond the borders as well. We continue so much going on in the NFL. I mean, uh, you talk about a news cycle. Holy mackerel. Coaches hired, fired, former coaches filing lawsuits. You've got Harbaugh heading over to Minnesota, uh, Minnesota to interview with the Vikings. You've got Cincinnati and L.A. getting ready to meet up on the grandest stage. Coming out of an incredible... Couple of weeks of postseason football, and it's just it's it's almost been. There's so much going on right now, uh, and we we love to talk about it. Our buddy Mark Schofield from uh, NFL Wire now joining us on the hotline. Mark, how you doing, man?
2: Uh, I'm doing well, Bill. Yeah, I mean the way you teed it up, I don't know where you're going to begin. There's like 16 different places you could start with everything that's going on.
0: Let's let's start first of all with the, the grandest of stage and that is the Super Bowl. You've got LA as the visiting team, Cincinnati as the home team. Uh Cincinnati to get there, I got to admit I I was one of the pessimistic uh few or many, I guess you could say, that said there's no way they're going into Arrowhead and getting a win. So do you look at that? Cause I give Joe Burrow a ton of credit for standing in there, being able to deliver and, and ultimately getting his team into position to win that ball game and McPherson to split the uprights. But I also look at Andy Reid in the second half of that ball game. It's almost like he got out coached. And I can't believe I'm saying that cause I had zero faith in Zach Taylor, but he did that 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 defense played a different style of football between Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. They didn't adjust.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right, Bill. They didn't. I mean, in the second half of that game, Lou Amarano, the defensive coordinator, they ran 45% of their snaps. I believe they dropped eight into coverage, and they couldn't have come up with an answer. Andrew Reed and company couldn't have come up with an answer for it. They dared Patrick Mahomes to be patient and to take some checkdowns, and you know, to throw the ball away, or they dared them to run the football. And they didn't do those things on the two sacks right before the field goal to send it to overtime, where on both plays, they dropped eight. The third the, the third down sack was Sam Hubbard as a spy who eventually got the sack actually on both plays. Mahomes didn't have anywhere to go and tried to make too much happen, ended up taking sacks. And that was kind of the story of the second half was their ability to make that adjustment of the defensive side of the ball and then Kansas City's inability to come up with an answer, whether it was, you know, doing some stuff underneath take it some check downs or even just say look we've got a lead we'll run the ball and force them out of this drop eight coverage to try to get them to back to that single high stuff that will give us some opportunities to throw it downfield they failed to adjust to the adjustments and now they're going to be watching the Super Bowl like the rest of us
0: the uh the Rams uh and what they did with Jimmy Garoppolo and company eventually Garoppolo became Garoppolo Matthew Stafford gets the win um, talk to me about, the, first of all, what McV- McVay finally gets a win over Shanahan after the last uh, previous six tries, but what this means to that Rams team that basically went all in this season to bring all these pieces together. And OBJ, too. I mean, this guy has proven that, hey, I, I don't have to be a cancer in the in the locker room. I can just go about my business if we've got the right pieces in place.
2: Right. I mean, I, I think, though it's obviously the, at first blush is a justification for the Matthew Stafford trade because... You know, and thinking about that NFC championship game, if they had failed to win, if they had failed to advance the Super Bowl after going all in, like you said, with, you know, the Stafford trade, the Vaughn Miller trade, the Odell signing, I mean, it would have really put some stress and had some people questioning that thought process about giving up all the draft capital they've given up to go get those players, and now you're not even making it to the Super Bowl. So I think it's a justification for what Les needed did and what they did in the front office. From McVay's perspective, they did some things on the offensive side of the ball that, obviously, that was a very good San Francisco defense, but they found ways to attack in the passing game. They found some ways to get something going on the ground. And then on the defensive side of the ball, obviously it helps when you have Vaughn Miller. It helps when you have Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd. But I was very impressed with, actually, Troy Reeder. you know, Because going into that game, and I know we talked about it, can you stop the run? Can you slow down the run? Can you find ways to prevent yourself from being outgapped, they were very aggressive. Reader as an inside linebacker, Eric Weddle, the first snap of the game, he's aligned sort of at depth but comes crashing downhill to get a stop. They put David Law one of their cornerbacks in the box a ton. They were very physical, and very fast downhill against the run to slow down that run game. They had a lot of plays where those guys were coming downhill and getting stops. You had guys on the edges that were prevented run plays from getting to the outside. Vaughn Miller, in particular, had one very good play where he just outdeeped, comped in the right tackle, and got a tackle for a loss behind the line. And so I was very impressed watching that game and then rewatching it the Monday, Bill, with how they played on the defensive side of the ball, particularly some of those guys I mentioned.
0: Uh, I want to talk about the quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford, coming out after toiling for years and years and years in Detroit, I was asked. Um, does this justify the, the trade for Stafford? And I said, look, Jared Goff got him to a Super Bowl. This is not about getting there. This is about winning. If they don't win it, then no, it doesn't justify the trade. On the other hand, you got Joe Burrow, who ta- he comes in and takes what many thought to be a kind of going in the opposite direction LSU team to a, to a national title, and now in two years, he's got Cincinnati in the Super Bowl. Who's Who needs this more for legacy boost, so to speak, Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrow?
2: I mean, I, I think the easy answer is Stafford because obviously he's been in the league longer. You mentioned the trade, and certainly getting to the Super Bowl, is, it helps to justify the trade, but you got to win the Super Bowl to fully justify it. And if they sort of struggle... They don't win. If Stafford struggles, there's certainly going to be some questions about, again, was it all worth it? Jared Goff had put you to a Super Bowl. Now you didn't win it, perhaps in part because of Jared Goff's indecisiveness and slow decision-making and and hesitation on some plays against the Patriots. But if Stafford has similar struggles, those questions will rise again. You know, with Burrow, it's his second year. He's coming off of a major injury that ended his rookie season, and now he has the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl in year two, and he's doing it when they're struggling to protect him, and now you're going up against the guys we've talked about, Donald Miller, Floyd, a very good defensive front. And So I think in terms of legacy, at least that first blush, it's Stafford. But whenever we get sort of a younger quarterback into a big game, into a Super Bowl early in their career, I always come back to Dan Marino against the Niners in the 80s when it was like, oh, well, Dan Marino lost this one, okay, He'll be back though, and he never got back. And so, while I do think that Stafford, this is more important for him from a legacy perspective, I just I always get wary just assuming that a, a young quarterback who may lo- maybe loses a Super Bowl is automatically going to get back there, because sometimes you never
0: do. Tom, Mark Schofield of NFL Wire. Joining us, you can find him at Mark Schofield over on Twitter. So now you've got, uh, obviously, the biggest stage is set. They're polishing up SoFi Stadium. We're all getting ready to reconvene out in L.A. beginning this weekend and then get on the air next week. And then this, Flores drops this bomb that the hiring practices are a joke, that he is being asked to throw games, that people are showing up to interviews drunk. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it it's the wor- there's never a good time for this, but this is probably the worst possible time. And in addition to that, uh, a big Washington Post article just comes out that says, hey, the The Washington football team is now the commanders, basically using the military to say "rah rah rah" when still the fish stinks from the head down behind the scenes, and that investigation was never complete and we haven't heard anything about Gruden's lawsuit. The NFL has got a lot of negativity floating around it right now, doesn't it?
2: It certainly does Bill um, you know and le- like you mentioned, it's never a good time for a lawsuit like this, but you know now they're going to have to face questions about that, they're going to have to face questions about. The Washington Football Team now the Commanders and the investigation, uh, the Gruden in emails. You know that's going to be a big topic of discussion. And this all sort of coming out during this week, which is sort of a, a quiet week. Obviously from NFL, yeah, you've got the Senior Bowl and you know you've got the Shrine Bowl that's going on, and you've got some other things on the NFL calendar. But this is kind of a time when we're all looking to sort of find things to talk about. And now we've got these stories, which I'm sure the NFL isn't too happy about, but. You know, they're going to have to deal with this. And with respect to the Flores lawsuit, I mean, there's a lot in there that obviously it's a lawsuit. These are allegations. But you can certainly understand a lot of what's being alleged here. We've seen the Rooney rule and how it perhaps has not not provided the desired effects, you know, and the allegations of the lawsuit from, you know, Brian Flores, which is, you know, these are sort of sham interviews. You know, particularly in light of the Bill Belichick text conversation, seems like there's meat to that discussion. And then when you start than the allegations of potentially losing games and ownership, saying, you know, we'll pay you bonuses for losing games, that gets you to an integrity of the game discussion. Even worse, the, you know, the, the, the tie in between Stephen Ross and, you know, his investments in a gambling company. You know that opens up that door into well, relationships between the owners and having a stake in gambling companies, and now they're asking coaches to throw games. There's a lot, and these are going to be questions that will be asked of every single person, every single you know, other team owner or general manager down in LA for the Senior Bowl, for the Super Bowl, excuse me, during media week. It's got to be a lot that they're going to have to deal with, and I'm sure they're not too happy about it right now.
0: The uh, the allegation that uh, not only was there the willingness to throw a game and actually pay for it, but then the tampering because of his his relationship with Tom Brady, the tampering side of things. This is really strong. I mean, we've already dealt with the sexual innuendos and such and all the harassment that's gone on behind the scenes in the Washington football team at the time. But this is now on the field tossing a game. We saw what happened with the Eagles when Doug Peterson ended up getting fired. We know this is something that, you know, there are teams that want to say, hey, we want to see some younger guys, and I get it, and maybe if you lose the game along the way that you actually get a better draft choice. But this is an owner saying, throw games and I'll pay you for it. If any of this is true, do you think that Stephen Ross should even be allowed to be an owner in the NFL if this is true?
2: Yeah, I mean, Bill, if this stuff is proven to be true... I don't see how you can allow him to be an owner anymore. I mean, this, and you know that the NFL has a history of when the integrity of the game gets called into question, that's when they sort of spread into action, whether it was pri- previous investigations, Spygate, Deflategate, Boutygate, Gate, they did get to the integrity of the game on the field, that really sort of gets them riled up. And so I'm sure that a part place right now in the NFL office is a of 365 there's certainly some angst and ire and concern about the hiring practices being alleged by Brian Flores. But in a way, there might be almost more angst about the allegation of throwing games and tanking games. like That gets to the integrity of the game part where we've seen the NFL in years past, in investigations past, really sort of – get laser focused on that. And so it would not surprise me if in the coming days, like that's really where the NFL sort of wants to focus this. And, you know, yeah, like you said, if an owner is saying, look, we've got to lose games, we've got to get a better draft position. That's a, that's a reflection that impacts the on the field product. And especially now where you have all these gambling tie-ins, I've already seen people say it on social media, mostly in jest right now, but Hey, you know, what if I bet on this game? Now you're losing it on purpose. Like, If you start getting that angle involved, that's also a big slope that people don't want to go down. So, yeah, if those stories, those allegations hold up, if those are proven true, I don't see how the NFL can let Stephen Ross continue as the owner
0: in Miami. Right. No, I completely agree. I, I want to move on to some on-the-field, more on-the-field stuff. Uh, first and foremost, uh, in uh, Chicago, you got Eberflus being hired and bringing in Luke Getze, the quarterback's coach of the Green Bay Packers. Clearly, that Packers coverage starting to be picked over. Nathaniel Hackett, great it coach is his offensive coordinator out in denver nathaniel hackett is now gone and then you've got harbaugh today interviewing in minnesota when he had said before i clearly want to remain as the head coach of the michigan wolverines but all of a sudden now he's looking back over the nfl fence and uh, you've got a, a GM down in Chicago saying they're going to take back the North and never give it back. I mean, the the crosshairs have never been more focused on the Green Bay Packers, I think, with everything hanging in the air right now regarding Aaron Rodgers than ever before, at least in the last 30 years since they've started this Hall of Fame quarterback play. Give me your thoughts on the NFC North and the shape that it's starting to take.
2: Yeah, it, it's fascinating to, to sort of see what's playing out in the North right now. I mean, I think started with the Vikings. I'm still convinced that That Harbaugh is using this sort of as a, excuse me, a ploy to perhaps get a better deal with Michigan. He obviously looked at what Tucker got for Michigan State, and that's kind of what he wants. So I think he's using this more as a leveraging posture play. Excuse me. But I do think that if he goes there, if he goes to Minnesota, he can put together a pretty good staff. I've seen rumors of Pep Hamilton, perhaps as offensive coordinator, which is a a road that I think would be smart for any team to go down. I've been a fan of Pep and what he's done, both with Justin Herbert last year, even with Davis Mills this year. These rumors are potentially Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. That would be a pretty good three-person staff at the top of that coaching roster. So I think if Harbaugh does decide to make that move, Minnesota could be in a, a very interesting position. Now, Chicago, I still think they have a lot of work to do around Justin Fields. Um, they they have to rebuild that offensive line. I think that's where Paul's new general manager is going to want to go first, is really sort of beef up that offensive front to protect Justin Fields in the pocket. So I think that's where they're going to go. Obviously, Detroit, they've got a lot of draft capital. They're going to be watching the Super Bowl intently because they have that Rams' first-round pick will be 31-32, and what do they do with their first pick in the first round? And so there's a lot of moving parts in the North. I still think, look, if 12 comes back, Green Bay is still going to be pretty good. I mean, if he gets 12, if you get 17 to come back as well, if they find ways to bring those guys back, this is still a very good team. Yes, there is some brain drain, but you have the talent on the field. If Rodgers, Adams, if they leave, that's when it gets really tricky looking at the state of the NFC North.
0: Uh, I'll let you catch your breath for a minute because I got one more question for you. And the question is, we heard Ian Rappaport on uh, the uh, the 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 show that uh, Aaron Rodgers obviously does. And he ended up saying that um, he said that the Packers badly want Rodgers back. Now, if on the Pat McAfee show he says this and then says they badly want him back, is to me that's an indicator that they clearly don't feel that Jordan Love either one is the guy or, two, is anywhere near ready to take over that team and have any kind of success. Do you feel the same?
2: I think generally, Bill, yeah. I, I think, you know, they, they look, they see Love every day. They saw, obviously, the start against Kansas City. And they're also looking at Aaron Rodgers, who in the last two years has played at an MVP level. And I think when you have a quarterback that is still playing at that level, you know, regardless of how you feel about the number two guy, yeah, you want him back. Um, so I think, look, if you're LaFleur, you know, you're know you looking at this this roster, you're looking at the way Rodgers has played the last two years, you certainly want that guy back under center for you as long as he wants to remain there, as long as you can have him, because he remains, despite what happened against San Francisco, one of the best quarterbacks in the game right now. He is playing at such a high level. And, yes, at some point you might have to make the switch to J- Jordan Love, whether it's two years from now or whatever, But I think with the way Rodgers is playing, you certainly want to construct your offense around number 12. Now, can Jordan Love get there? Yes, he can. He's talented. He's got two years now in the system to sort of piece things together. And if the Packers have to make a move to Jordan Love to be the week one starter for the 2022 season, I'm sure they can do things to build around him, to get him ready, to get him in a position to be successful. But I don't think you're going to see the level of play that you're seeing from Rodgers, from Jordan Love anytime soon. And so I think given what you've seen the last two years, that would certainly, look, if it were me, that would certainly be my preference. Look, give me more years of 12 playing like this. I'll take that any day.
0: Right. No doubt. Uh, Mark, great stuff as always. We going to see you out in L.A.?
2: Um, I'm not going to be out in L.A., but maybe Indy for the combine.
0: Okay. Well, we might catch you down the combine then as well. Appreciate it, pal, as always, okay?
2: Thanks so much, Bill. Always a blast.
0: Take care. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. There you go. Mark Schofield uh, of NFLWire.com. You can read his stuff there, at Mark Schofield, over on Twitter as well. And uh, great to talk to him. The Bill Michaels Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.